It's snacking and get cracking with a snack that packs a protein punch. Pistachios are known for their protein power, fiber, and better for you unsaturated fats for a combination that may help you keep feeling fuller longer. Wonderful Pistachios is a good source of protein with zero gill. Each one ounce serving has six grams of protein, giving you over 10% of your daily value. I love that they come in a variety of sizes and flavors, making this the perfect protein snack for any on-the-go adventure. Check out wonderfulpistachios.com to learn more about how these little green wonders can power up your day. Welcome back, everyone, to the FlowTrack Podcast. FlowTrack Podcast at gmail.com, our email address. You can find the show on our YouTube page, or you can listen to it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever else you get your podcast. I'm Kevin. He's Gordon. And people who've listened to the show for a while know that Gordon likes to make fun of me about how much I like schedules. But today's a big day for him, because as much as I love big meat schedules, Gordon loves entries to the NCAA championships even more by an exponential factor i'd even say so it's a big day for you gordon how you feeling you just made me sound like the lamest person ever <laughs> i'm excited about you entries get, it's a big you get day the entries. For me. come on man you look at you look at all the possibilities what it means for the team race why did they do this why did who do that you love it you embrace it Wrap your arms around it. I do like seeing people who scratched, people who doubled, don't double, <laughs> triple maybe. My quadruple exactly. that I dreamed in my head all season long that doesn't come into fruition. You know, I was big on the <laughs> Danny Jones 8-mile 3K, 5K quadruple, but that never happened. <laughs> I blame the pandemic. Yeah. Uh, but, no, yeah, it's fun just to see because people kind of forget about, like, well, the how it affects everything and how it affects the team scores and how it affects the athletes of what's interesting. Like during the Ed Cheserek era, he was so mm -hmm. good at the mile DMR 3K and 5K. You had no idea what what type of meet he was going to be. Was it going to be a 3K, 5K meet? Was it going to be a DMR mile or 5K DMR mm -hmm. double? You know, all that stuff. You kind of didn't know because they had the entries in all of them. And now we had a similar situation here where we had Three BYU guys in the 5K, yeah. all scratch, which I guess made sense, which is kind of weird. That never happens. You never have the three best runners in an event all scratch because you're like, eh, whatever. I mean, in the women's mile, the seven of the top 10 women all scratched. So it does interesting. It is interesting to see what times it took to get in um, and how it affects cross country, indoor, et cetera. So what do you want to talk about yeah. first? Do you want to talk about well, just high level? Notable things. I just that... think it's, I just think it's interesting because this year it's particularly noteworthy because it impacts not one but two championships. So you read yes. into it what it means for indoors, but also for cross country. So I, for the first year, probably I'm not going to say I'm as excited as you, but I found a lot to get interested in about here. But I think headline here is you have two collegiate record holders not running the event where they broke the collegiate record. I think that's where we have to start with a Thingmo running the 400, and we assume the four by four and not the 800. And you have Cooper Tier not entered in the mile where he has the collegiate record, but instead entered in the 3K, and we would assume he would also run the distance medley relay. That to me, you talk about three people scratching from an event, that never happens. 
I'm guessing we haven't seen a scenario where two collegiate records have scratched, collegiate record rolls have scratched out of their events. Well, there is a, first talk about Cooper, there is a little bit of like a, what's the, a Madden cover like type curse on the mile. Typically, the athlete who breaks the NCAA collegiate record in the mile goes on to not win the mile. They mm-hmm. get upset. Um, yeah. So maybe Cooper saw the tea leaves. He's like, I got to stay away from that. I want to win. Um, but when you really look at it, Oregon had a plethora of talent in the mile already. They are already going to mm-hmm. have Hawker and Reed Brown in the mile. And they can just spread their points out across so many different places that – I think they're thinking, all right, do you want Cooper Tier to run mile prelim, DMR, mile final, 3K, and then two days later, a 10K, Mm -hmm. or just do DMR, 3K, and then two days later, a 10K? I think it's just taking away two extra races for Cooper in the long run. They don't, they're not going to need those, that, those mile points from him to win the meet. I think they can win it without those. And I think it keeps them just a bit fresher. He won't be gone to the well doing just two events before cross country. So I think there was a bunch of factors. And I think in the end, I think it is the best thing for him. And I will try to like chill in that DMR as much as possible. I think you would make the argument too, that when it comes to a championship setting, he's a bigger favorite in the 3000 than he would be in the mile, which I know is crazy to say because he's a collegiate record holder, but you have a person in there in Sam Tanner who ran a 334, 1500 as well. And because tier is so good at the longer distances, you know, 3K is a very comfortable stop, spot for him. Yeah, he's going to be pushed by Cole Hawker. Mario Garcia Romo looked really good at the SEC championships, but those are the only three guys who have run under 750 this year. I think they look at that as an extremely winnable race. Yes, the mile probably would have come down to him, Hawker, and and Tanner. But quirky things can happen in the mile, so it makes more sense. You could make the argument that he's a better has a better chance for ten points in the three thousand. Different scenario with Mo, though. Different scenario because although she's a favorite in both, she is a much 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 larger favorite in the eight hundred because she just ran one fifty eight than she did uh th- than she would have been in the the 400 still obviously going to be expected to win the the 400 here but it would have been almost well, it would have been a guaranteed 10 points in the 800 we could say that it would have just been her versus the clock interesting a few interesting things about that decision first decision Guess who is number 17 on the list in the women's 400 who will not be at the meet because a thing Mo is running. It's one of her teammates, oh. Shahira Richardson. She's the first woman out. That basically, mm-hmm. the fact that I think Mo is running put her out. I mean, she'll still be on the 4x4, but it's kind of interesting how mm-hmm. she kicked out her own teammate. Um, but think about this. All right. I have a feeling a thing Mo sees a writing on the wall. She's going pro after this year. She's just been running, you know, maybe she doesn't want to tell Pat Henry that, but, you know, we can see that's happening, right? She's, you don't, what do you have to, what else? And it kind of reminds me of um, Mondo Duplantis. Like, he's kind of like, all right, the only thing I have to prove is winning an NCAA title 
and breaking the collegiate record indoors and outdoors. Now he didn't go four for four on, on all those goals, but he was he was yeah. close. And I think what if you want to be in in the history books, what will be more impressive? Having the collegiate indoor record in the eight hundred, and then also an NCA indoor eight hundred meter title where you won it in two oh three, or have the collegiate indoor record in the eight hundred and the collegiate indoor 400 meter record with the 400 meter title. Like, I think that just, you know, it's like, she has nothing else to prove in the eight. I think she can still mm-hmm. win the four. So she'll still get her NCAA title, but now she has the opportunity to have two, actually three collegiate records, four by four, 400 and 800 as a freshman with two NCAA titles. That That's like the perfect NCA indoor resume you could ever have of all time. And then she can go into outdoor, collect those outdoor records and championships. And then you could come out of the freshman year being like, all right, why do I need to go back? I've done everything. I got all the records. I got all the titles that are important. Now it's time to make, you know, U.S. teams. Well, it's interesting that you say she's got nothing to prove in the 800 this year even before we get to the NCAA championships. But that's how good a thing Mo has been. She's proven herself as the best 800-meter runner, and she doesn't even need to run the championships. You're looking at it from a legacy perspective. I'm looking at it more as a short-term decision in terms of between now and outdoors. I think it makes sense if your goal is looking to NCAA outdoor championships and Olympic trials. Why do you need to run another 800? If she was on a... If this was a pro right now and she ran that 158.4 indoors and we talked to them after the race, what would they say? Would they say they're going to run more indoor meets? No. They'd be like, hey, I've gotten what I wanted out of indoors. Now it's on to outdoors. With her situation, it's a little bit different. She competes for a team, but she's also really good at another event. Makes sense. Don't put another 800-meter race in her in her legs. Have her run a 400. Get a little bit of speed work at the NCAA championships, which is a weird thing to say, but that's basically <laughs> what this is. This is, a, this is another, it's a step. It's a very important meet for her, but it's a step towards a larger goal, I think, of being as sharp as possible for outdoor season. That's that's what I would imagine this decision is about. And running 158.4 just makes that so easy to say, hey, let's just do it. Let's just do a 400 this time. Let's go for that. Let's go for that collegiate record. And then on to outdoors. Yeah, and also is the four four by four double easier than the eight four by four double? Uh that's a good question. You're the schedule, man. You're the schedule, that's man. That's a good question. You know these. Uh well, hold on. No, the eight comes after, doesn't it? I don't know. She'll be fine. She'll be she runs the eight hundred, um, usually. She'll be fine. She'll run the and when she was in AAU, she ran twelve events or something. She'll be She'll be fine. She could run the 400 and the 4x4. Four four. I think they'll be sharp. They'll be fine. Where do you no, have... No, I'm saying is it's closer. Yeah, so the 800 is... Um, when you're looking at finals... Where is it? Okay, the 800 is an hour and 10 minutes before the 4x4, four four, whereas the 400 is an hour and 30 minutes before the 4x4. Four four. So you get an extra... 20 minutes. I think she'll be fine. I think she'll be <laughs> Right now, though, on the team rankings, you have Texas A&M three points behind Arkansas. So they are going to need every point they can get 
Yeah. Um, updated the team rankings on both the men's and women's side, individual top eight and overall. And the team battle on the women's side is going to be very tight between three teams, Arkansas, Texas A&M, and Texas. They all are in the 50-point range. I mean, anything can swing plus five, minus five in any event here. So you got to just – it basically is going to be a three-team race. It's a three-horse race, Arkansas, A&M, and Texas. Arkansas is going to be on the backs of all their distance. You know, a and is going to be back on the backs of a lot of their field events, and they're in a thing mose of the world. And then Texas has a little bit of everything. Um, not really much distance, though. They're more of like, you know, the 60 hurdles and – some in the, in the sprints. So Texas is short sprints. AM is field events and Arkansas is distance. So there's not going to be much overlap, but they're all going to dominate those fields and then see who can dominate the most will win. The one interesting thing though, is a taking account for all the scratches and who's declaring and what BYU mm-hmm. women are projected to finish fourth, which is wild. I mean, we talk about like, they're going to be able to potentially finish fourth and not run any of their cross country people who double back for a tank, a six K in on Monday, like Oregon on the men's side, they're going all in on indoor and they're definitely sacrificed their cross country finish for it. But BYU could podium yeah. and not have any sacrifice towards their, their championship title goals uh, on Monday in the cross country course. Yeah. Cause it's mostly different people by yeah. and large, but it's you're right. Yeah. You look at, you look at that 800 most scratches and now the number one seed is lindsey butler sophomore virginia tech 20196 and then you have Lori barton clemson 20199 and then claire seymour junior from byu 20220 i don't think a lot of people are familiar with many of these names in the women's 800 but that just goes to show how open this thing is then you go to the mile where you said what seven of the top 12 scratched is yeah, that correct? Or top 10. Seven to top 10. Seven to top 10. So you got Sage Herda. People know her. Chrissy Gear, Lottie Black. There's some NCAA championship pedigree there. But then you drop a little farther, and there's some names here that it's their first time, including, like you said, BYU, six, seven, and eight. They all got in on that last UW meet just yeah. a week ago, basically, <laughs> into the meet. It'll be interesting. Uh, speaking of distance, though, I was looking at this through the lens of what it tells us about cross country. And I think we got more of those lessons from the men's side of things, but I did notice for obviously Stanford's not in this meet. Stanford's yeah. not in this meet. Now, yeah, so I have a and well, NC state also scratched uh Steelman out of the three K if I'm correct. They yeah. Kept so her I can, in the 5,000. I can tell you basically who is the main, like notable teams who have people doubling from indoor to cross. So on the women's side, NC State is basically Steelman and Kelsey Camille, who are two of their top scorers. They're both running the 5K. Stanford, nobody is running. New Mexico, obviously, no one's running. BYU, no one is running because no one from their top seven. Um, so that's about so basically NC State is going to be see and Washington look like Washington uh, Ali Shadler is running the three K so Washington mm-hmm. is going to be six of seven fresh NC State is going to be five of seven fresh and then the rest of the teams are going to be seven of seven fresh 
for like the notable in team contestant. Yeah. yeah, but the fact that they're running the five and not the three, probably some strategy there in terms of the extra day rest, I would think. Yeah. Also, maybe okay, you want the longer event because you're in you're in cross country shape, but that allows you to go you race Friday, you have Saturday and Sunday off, and then you come back and run the cross country championships. For the men, though, for the men, you have Wesley Kiptu, who's going to run the five, but not the three. And then you have that BYU situation. So that that question was answered. We thought, hey, there's going to be people who double. There's going to be people who go f- through both. And I think Wayne Kalati would have done it if she came back. But I also thought on the men's side, the number one candidate for that would have been Connor Mance. And, and he scratched. So what, are the, what does the men's side look like when you look at cross country too? indoor so obviously we already know oregon they're going all in on indoor so they're going to be definitely depleted come cross country uh arkansas men who have always been a top four team in and every week's rankings and continue mm-hmm. to be a, a team a podium contending team i mean their top guy amon kemboy is doing the 5k and the 3k a jacob mcleod's doing the 5k matt young's doing the 5k gilbert boy is doing a 5k and 3k and probably Andrew Cabet is doing DMR. So basically their entire top five are all going to be, or at least yeah. five of their seven are all going to be running indoor. So that's going to definitely hurt their chances. Um, and then another team that, it, I mean, I and we talk about Kip2. Kip2 is like the individual. I mean, that here's the thing. I feel like Kip2 running the 5K, I think if he comes back, Two or three days later, I think he's still gonna go out broke in that he's he just he runs indoors and in 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 gloves. He was at altitude in Lubbock and he was running like eight he was running like eight flat three not seven flat three K pace for like the first like he went out in like thirty, sixty, ninety seconds. He was just like and I was like, dude, what are you doing? It's like I don't know why he wears gloves, but he doesn't care about saving energy. Yeah. And I think, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if Kip2 runs it, 5K wins it, and then goes out and wins cross country. He seems like he's a really good talent, but it could affect well, him. And maybe, five, well, yeah. I don't stop know. there for a second. That 5K field, what do you think about that 5K field on the whole? When you look at who's well, actually the final 16? I mean, it's it's definitely weak. I mean, among Kemboy, it's going to be a Kemboy and Kip2 battle. And Arkansas is definitely excited about that because Arkansas needs to get as many points as possible to be in the team title contention. Uh, but mm. it is interesting. I mean, you have people like, you know, uh, the two Cincinnati guys, Benfield and yeah. Sandusky. Um, you have, like, Shea Foster. Hey, Shea Foster, big fan of the podcast. Called a shot. He called, called a shot. shot. He, he actually had an incredible um, – Indoor, he he did like the he did like a triple, and then he also qualified. He went a three forty so, thirteen forty solo to make it to NCAA indoors. Hey man, Shea, all right, Shea Foster, he's gonna he's gonna be a two time All American. He's gonna finish top eight in the five k, and then he's gonna be top forty in cross. I'm calling it right now. He's gonna be, <laughs> but I mean, some you know, Ben Veach, Morgan Beetlescum, some people who have made made meets before. Andrew Jordan of of UW in there. So some big names, but 
Kip to the clear favorite, I think, in this in this five thousand. Yeah, I mean, no question. I think it's Kip two and Kemboy one two, and then shake them up and see what happens in the in the for third through eighth. Mm. That's what I think. Yeah. Okay. Are there any other surprise scratches that you found, or any other team title nuggets you want to share? Uh, Texas Tech's court. Courtney Lindsay scratch. who's a good sprinter. That was kind of surprising. Um, Johannes Erm, the heptathlete mm-hmm. for Georgia, who would have been the favorite. He scratched. I guess he's injured. Um, but yeah, looking at the team scores. So on the women, like we said, it's Arkansas A&M, Texas, and then BYU in that fourth spot, which is interesting. On the men's side, Oregon, we have scoring 64 points. LSU, 49. Arkansas, 42. And then tied for fourth is Florida State and Georgia with 36. So Arkansas and Oregon are going to have a lot of battles in the 3K and 5K that may, you know, could could be a big point swing for either team. Um, yeah. LSU could sneakily just find a way to catch Oregon at the end. Um, but yeah, it looks like it's going to be 50 points to win on both the men's and women's side, which is a typically a normal way to win a championship. Uh, but the, the the main players are up there, right? We've seen these battles, LSU, Oregon, Arkansas, Florida State, Georgia. Florida's in sixth. Um, yeah. Not not many, too many, like, that sneakily, like, you know, when NAU could have won last year or when Wisconsin or Stanford. Uh, nothing like that really going on this year. We talk about Oregon and how many entries they get in the distance races, but they have three men in the sixty as well too yeah. including the, the top seed in michael williams they have a triple jumper triple jumper excuse me emmanuel ihameji who's seated sixth uh heptathlete who's seated sixth they got a lot of ways to to score points here yeah and i know your initial projection had them in the 70s so i'm guessing t are not running the the mile yeah there, probably dropped that down a bit, but 64, 64 will do it. I would think it will. Yeah, it will do it. All right. Here, I, one of the things I'm trying to figure out is when I, so this upcoming weekend, it's the final weekend for cross country will be my final way to kind of really, uh, reconfigure the cross country rankings. I'm trying to think how I should analyze athletes who now are officially, who are officially committed to running indoors. Like, what percentage should I dock them for, like, just being tired, <laughs> right? I don't know. I You're ranking them. You're not necessarily predicting what's going to happen. Those are two different things. If you want to keep tier fourth because he's earned that ranking, that's fine. Now, if you want to – when it comes time to pick for the race, then that's a different, then that's a different story, and I could see that factoring in. But just so in terms of they're... what ranking they've – no, in terms of what ranking they've earned, I think they still get that that the ranking that they earned. I would still say if you have what you have tier fourth or something like that, I still think he's he's fourth. You don't think you should like deduct because they are not going to be the same runner because they're going up against people who aren't running an NCAA championship two days prior. Again, if it's a ranking, no. If it's a pick or a projection. I could see yes, you factoring that in, but that's a different thing. But aren't than a rankings ranking. projections? Aren't rankings projections in a way? 
No, because if you look at the AP top 25 in football, if Trevor Lawrence gets hurt in a game, but they still win, they're not going to drop them in the ranking. They're going to wait till they actually lose. But then people picking is going to be different because then they're going to factor in all the injuries and all the circumstances as well, too. So I think it's two different things. I, I think there's a distinction there. I think save yourself some time. Don't do it is what I'm saying. You don't need to worry about the fatigue algorithm. I think people would understand, oh man, that person was fourth, but they 48 hours ago, they ran uh, all out 3K. There's a reason why they're tired. That'd be my thought. But No, I think I'm going to I'm going to figure out a way to account for fatigue. Also, you're never <laughs> going to be able to you're never going to run this back cuz hopefully this never the situation never happens again it's in true. our lifetime. So it's not even like you save that formula in it's not even like you can say, ah, I'm going to use this to inform this because last time it happened, this is what we went with. Okay. So we're going to have plenty more NCAA indoor preview next week as we get ready for those championships and also cross country. It'll be the big NCAA extravaganza next week. Um, and then later on in today's show, we're going to talk about Paul Chalimo's American record attempt, but first the latest edition of the Under Armour Performance Series, where I talked to Georgia Allenwood, the heptathlete from Canada, Wisconsin alum, and Doug Smiley of Under Armour. We'll play that right now, and then when we come back, we will talk about Paul Chalimo. And now it's time for another edition of the Under Armour Performance Series. Under Armour, more than an apparel or shoe company, a human performance company trying to not only make their athletes better, but everyone a better runner. In this series, we've been talking to athletes, coaches, trainers on a variety of topics to help improve you as a runner from preparation, nutrition, training to competing and recovery. Today's guests are Canadian heptathlete Georgia Ellingwood and Doug Smiley, Global Category Manager for Performance Run at Under Armour. Uh, thank you both for joining us. And George, I'd like to start with you. Shoes and footwear is a hot topic right now in the running world. Uh, can you tell me about your experience working with Under Armour on producing spikes? What's that like from an athlete perspective? Yeah, I never really was involved in spike development before. I would just go to the store and buy the best spikes that I thought were best for my event. And so now I've opened to the entire world of product development, especially in the heptathlon, which is awesome for me. And I hope that Under Armour can also learn um, from having their first heptathlete and can kind of bounce back knowledge about um, what works best for me, what works best for athletes in the future. And so it, it's been really, really interesting um, to give feedback and to listen to what where they are in steps of development and how I can help with that. So when, when I put the shoe on my foot, it's really cool to know that I was such a big part of developing a shoe that works for me and hopefully works for athletes in the future. Mm -hmm. And Doug, why is it important to bring athletes in to that process when you're creating a new spike? Uh, really because, I mean, you, you look at Under Armour and how the brand started and it started to find athlete-driven solutions. And that kind of mission and mantra has has continued on. So even our expansion into uh, track and field, we knew that the athlete had to be our North Star, our guiding light. And so we had amazing collegiate properties and amazing pro athletes like Georgia. And so that was really kind of approach to this of just like, if we can make this pinnacle product that, you know, hits the exacting standards of, of the best athletes in the world, 
that's going to have a cascading effect where this is going to be applied to a broader audience there. But we knew we couldn't create this in a vacuum. We knew we had to go right to the athletes, get those deep insights, and then really have those conversations, start creating product, and then go through the validation process and just really kick off this ongoing conversation we have with athletes of every time we're creating product, they're just an immersive part of the the experience from day one. Mm-hmm. And sprint and distance spikes, a little more common out there, but Georgia mm-hmm. does so many events. Why was it important, Doug, to have a full complement of spikes for all the field events as well? It, it's really a category where it's you can't be half in and half out. You have to be totally in and totally completed or else you're, you're gonna end up fading away and not commit to the sport. So our kind of mission was complete the athletes. So not just have, you know, one cross country spike or, you know, have something for sprints, but for that track and field athlete and for, for those collegiate programs and for those pro- programs we sponsor, we wanted to have product solutions in every category. So every discipline from jumps to throws to sprints, we know we needed to make the best product out there. And this is really kind of the, you know, the biggest hurdle to clear for us was, you know, the kickoff, really get all those conversations, really talk to athletes in all these disciplines and really kick it off from there. And then it's just from here on out, it's building, iterating and improving going forward. And Georgia, anybody who's watched uh, heptathlon or decathlon from a distance knows that you guys are always changing shoes. Like your spike bag has a spike bag inside of that bag. I mean, it's just amazing how much equipment you guys need every time you go to the track. What's the value in having a specific shoe tailored for all your different events that you compete in? Yeah, it's funny, I think, because when um, I I signed originally with Under Armour, I don't know if they knew what they were in for because I had to (laughs) say, like, I have seven different events uh, and I'm going to need seven different pairs of shoes for that. And I think um, from an outside perspective, you might think that you need an may need one or two and you can just use some of the same shoes for each event but track and field has become so specific and certain movements are now so important in each event that i did need that many pairs of shoes and so we are now that far along in the process where i think there is a mutual understanding of what i need as a heptathlete and that we can work um on more of like a narrow scope on on all of the shoes and i i have more confidence that um, i'm going to get the shoe that i need for for that event and to have the technology, um, maybe in high jump, I need more of a springier shoe, um, or in the shot put, I need a flat surface so I can glide across the ring. So things like that, um, I think now there's a mutual understanding of what I need in each event, and then it's their job now to uh, develop that, and they're doing a really awesome job at understanding what I need now. So I think I think it's going well, and uh, um, hopefully I'm not disturbing too too much of the their uh, development by asking for so much in that bad one. I know they have a mantra UA makes you better when you were deciding on on where to sign how important was it to have a sponsor that would be able to support you in all all your different pursuits here even before signing with Under Armour I knew that Under Armour was a brand that focused a lot on the science behind the sport. And I never really had an inside view of that before. Um, even at the University of Wisconsin, we were sponsored by Under Armour, but I didn't get like an inside look at, at the science that went behind their products. And so when I actually did for, for the first two years of my contract, I uh, went and, and discovered all of that. And so now I can really see what's being put into their products and how they make me better. Like it's 
it's, it's easy to believe just someone says like it makes you better. Okay, I'll wear the product. But when you actually see the steps behind that and see them go through the process of what is actually making you better, you have more confidence when you go onto the track that that's exactly what it's doing. And Doug, as I mentioned at the top, spikes and shoes are a hot topic in the running world right now. How do you take what you learned in the track and field space, maybe even stuff that you learn specific to Georgia's, you know, doing doing the shot put or the high jump and transfer that knowledge to other products that you work with whether it be you know road racing shoes cross-country shoes or what have you yeah uh, and this is kind of the, the great learnings we have and it's kind of this idea and you know you spoke to mikey and kind of looked at the the global performance system where how we kind of like treat the athlete athlete holistically along their journey from you know compete to train to recover and as we're talking to athletes about you know what they need and you know, a high jump shoe versus a shot put shoe versus a sprint shoe. We're also talking about their training as a whole. So finding out what they're what they're wearing for speed days, uh, what they're wearing for long runs for some of them, depending on their on their discipline. And so there's definitely kind of this this inherent learnings we're, we're picking up there. And there's also a lot of transferable technology. A lot what we learn on constructing a you know a sprint shoe, where our, our goal is to really lock you down and keep you centered on a platform for those explosive takeoffs. You know, as we're constructing a running shoe, like right now we have a new technology with Flow, and we took a lot of those learnings from shoes like the Sprint Pro, and we brought that over to the road running side. So it's just this, this kind of natural transferable DNA of technology where we might have to morph it and we might have to evolve it, but we find these great solutions, and these great learnings from our clinical athletes in track and field, and that definitely can have application to the road side of things. Mm -hmm. And Georgia, last question in a year as hectic, or last couple of years actually is hectic, as this, what is your what has your training been like, and when are you going to start? When are we going to see you competing um, when we roll around to outdoor season? That's always a hard question to answer right now, but I think <laughs> we are figuring it out finally. There has been so many months of kind of just not sure where we're going, and I'm sure so many other athletes have have been in that position, and it's difficult to stay motivated, especially when you don't know when the next time you're going to compete is. Um, but then you realize like you still have a passion for the sport you do it because you love it and so it doesn't matter if you have a competition in a year from now or or in a month from now and so um we do have some competitions on the schedule um hopefully some of them will be international meets for heptathletes and decathletes it's usually always overseas and so we're hopefully going to make that work i think i have a meet in italy um in the end of april and then the gotsis hypo meeting which is a really big multi-events uh, meet in May, um, and then the Canadian Championships. Hopefully, if that goes smoothly, those will be my three big competitions as qualifications for Tokyo, and then of course going to Tokyo. Um, but yeah, so that now we have some meets on the schedule. So now it's just making sure I'm comfortable in uh, all my footwear, making sure that I'm locked into my training, and really fine tuning all the details to get ready for those meets. Great. Well, Georgia Ellenward and Doug Smiley, thank you guys both for joining me on this week's edition of the Under Armour Performance Series. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. All right, we are back. Gordon, are you ready to Great break interview. Walter Lima will break the American record? Thank you. I changed my shirt really quickly. For those of you who are watching, I went from a lime green to a red. Effortless wardrobe change here. Chalimo going for the American record on Thursday. 1301 is the mark. 
he's only run faster than that once in his life and it was outdoors he ran that 12:57 back in 2018 do you think paul's gonna get this no next question that'll do it for today's show (laughs) (laughs) yeah i mean i don't know it just seems he hasn't run any races leading up to this point uh obviously we don't know what his training i'm sure his training is going well i'm sure he's fit i'm sure he's healthy um but i don't know it seems uh i don't know it just seems i think he could I just think that situational of it being like across the country and it just being like this one-off thing um, that's not in your backyard. I don't know. I just have a vibe that it'll he'll end up running like thirteen oh five or thirteen oh six. He doesn't have an out or an indoor mark listed ever in the five thousand. Run a lot of three thousands, but doesn't have a five thousand meter mark to his name that i could find indoors interesting not sure how much factor that will uh, amount to but yeah i want to know the pacing i guess i mean if can is someone going to get him be able to get him through 3k on pace i'm sure there if will so be. i like yeah i like his i like his chances if if that's if that's the case because i mean 1301 it's quick we've definitely seen people raise the bar this year and last year though Joshua Chepta guy being one of those people but also other other Americans as well too it seems like it's doable it seems like you could see him match almost his indoor or his outdoor PB in this race and it not be overly stunning but yeah anytime it's a it's a record attempt probably want to be a little more cautious what will it say if he runs say he he doesn't get it and he runs 1302 well, what would he need to run, either good or bad, for you to change your opinion about Paul Chalimo? And where, no, there's where nothing he currently that, sits. There's not. There's not. The only way my opinion will change about Paul Chalimo if he goes out and runs like thirteen twenty, because then I'll be like, oh man, he might have lost a step. But I don't think that would ever happen. I think uh, Paul Chalimo will still 12, be fifty one. If you were on twelve fifty one, I'd be like, I'd be like, hey, maybe maybe chapter guy might have some company. Yeah, that's what I would I, that would that would change my opinion on him. If he ran twelve fifty one, <laughs> but if he ran like twelve fifty six to thirteen oh six, I would look at him the same yeah. as just, hey, he's a he's a medal favorite, you know, at yep. the Olympics, he's talented. That's what those type of people do. I think. I don't know what what's the thirteen oh one twenty six. Yeah, I mean, you already said know. no. You can't change your pick. Yeah, but yeah I like no, yeah. I like that range. Stick with the no. I think I agree with that range. I think twelve fifty six to thirteen oh six opinion doesn't change, and then once you go outside that range, then you either get more confident or less confident in his ability to medal and what color his medal would be at the olympics yeah that's a good that's a good number that you picked all right yeah you're welcome good at picking these numbers <laughs> good hey I mean, you uh, got the hot you got the hot hand after the texas qualifier you have the hot hand for sure what do i what did i say what do i think he's gonna run did i say what i thought he's gonna run i think he's gonna run no, 1306 
1306. No, oh, okay, so you're going to put them at the end of that distribution? Interesting. Yeah. Okay. Actually, no, you run 1305. 1305. Okay. I like what, it. It, seem, because it seems out of the blue, doesn't it? What's like, why, are we do, have, why yes. is he doing this? They have every you have everything to lose and nothing to gain by making a pick on here. Uh, I'm talking about you, not Paul Chalimo. Um, oh, okay. Maybe same with him too. Maybe, maybe it's the same thought process here. He's in good shape. He wants to get a race in. He's everybody else racing, and then he's going to go back and get ready for outdoors. It was weird. I don't. Did we talk about this yesterday? I was asking different people at the Texas meet. Hey, is this the end of? the season for you or the beginning of the season for you? Is this the end of indoors or the beginning of outdoors? And a lot of people gave me a lot of different answers. And a lot of people said they didn't know when they were going to figure it out later. There were very few people who said definitively they knew at what point in the season they were in. I'd assume it's the same for, for Chalimo. Just, okay, let's run this race. We're in shape and then figure this stuff out later. Cause it's so weird. There was an outdoor track meet. At the, there's been outdoor yeah. track meets in February. That's so in the United States. It's just so bizarre. Yeah. You saw uh, USATF announced um, that they have their own little like 10, 10 meet series. Uh, mm -hmm. Some of the some of the meets though are going to be like field event only or sprint based only. Um, I did notice though two of their distance based meets overlap with an already established distance meet. Date. So one of them mm -hmm. overlaps with Peyton Jordan and another overlaps with Jesse Williams meet, which would have been like mm -hmm. the track meet, which would have been in like mid-May. Yeah. So I'm wondering what's going to happen. Uh, also, a lot of the meets have TBD on it <laughs> to be determined, yeah. right? So like you said, they don't know if it's indoors over or outdoors starting. Like they don't even know what meets. I mean, they know there are meets, but they don't know exactly which kind or what type of meets they'll be. Uh, Mm -hmm. College season, I feel like, is a little certain. Yeah. I mean, do we know the status of college outdoor track? Is it like the same as college indoor track, but more? I don't like our. I don't know. What, yeah. Do you know the status of college outdoor track? I mean, I don't know what definitively. I've heard murmurs and rumbles here and there, but I think it's going to be a little bit more open than the indoor situation for for a couple of reasons. And maybe these pro athletes who are used to running in these college meets will get back into that pattern again. Although now if there's yeah. 11 pro meets available, then it's a little bit different situation. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a really tough thing to figure out. One thing I think that we can be confident about is I don't think you're going to see many people go overseas before the Olympic trials. I think you see a lot of people just stay here. Those meets, I, I think, are a testament to that because they don't want to risk any – I mean, they're getting, a lot of countries you go to, there's a mandated quarantine period. If something changes coming back to the U.S., they just don't want to have any sort of interruptions to the training cycle because we're only – we're three and a half months essentially from the beginning of the trials. Like, we're yeah. not that far away. So – it doesn't make a ton of sense to be doing a lot of uh, traveling. So I think a lot of people are just going to keep it stateside. And then once the trials are over, you'll see people go get ready for the Olympics. And then the Diamond League season extends beyond the Olympics this year. So they'll have plenty of opportunities to race in Europe. I just don't think many people are going to take the risk in 
April and May, especially because the Diamond League season is so backloaded. You'll probably see a couple, but I don't think you'll see very many. The Diamond League champion this year get a bye to Worlds next year? Yes, that's my understanding. Okay, so there's something to the run first, for. Right. The first, the first meet is in Rabat, May 23rd. Right, so that's just a few weeks before the trials, and then you have Doha on May 28th, Rome on June 4th. I I just think more people are going to be staying here in the United States to yeah. run, and, and then there's the those... Continental Tour meets. Come on, man. Yeah, the Continental Tour as well too, which. Again, I would guess there's going to be more of an American presence on the back half of that. So yeah. uh, that people may not have known at what point in their season they're at, but a lot of people were saying, let's just, uh, let's just keep it, keep it close to, to home for the short term. Let's have everything under control. Yeah. The first continental tour May 9th in Tokyo, I believe. And then there's, um, one in Nanjing and then in Ostrava. But listen, if things, I mean, May, you're really down to the wire when it comes to Olympic trials. So that big of a flight just in general is tough to do with a disruption to athlete's schedule. And then you combine everything that's going on with COVID. It's going to be rough. So that's what I would guess. All right. You got one more last point? Go ahead. Do it. Yeah. So this weekend, live on FlowTrack, I think on Friday, the Big East Cross Country Championships going down live. Got the Villanovas, Georgetowns, Butlers, Providences, etc. Xavier, shout out to my old cross country coach, Coach Xavier, Ryan Orton. Woo. Not Orton, Orner, sorry. Uh, wow, got his name wrong. That must have been. I know, right? I'm awful. Uh, it's going to be interesting. So the Big East Championship, none of these teams really have run much. Uh, I know Butler ran a like a they ran at the Lipscomb XC Classic and looking it up and they both the women and men both won but they were you know they were racing Bradley, Loyola, Lipscomb, Illinois State so it made sense from the win. So basically all these Big East teams resume is O and O, right? They they don't really have any wins or any losses to to write home about. So the question is how will the NCAA selection committee look at this Big East championship and give it credit for like going to nationals. Now, Big East has yeah. a lot of teams that have national pedigree, right? From previous years and from over the past decades, you know, the Georgetowns, the Villanovas, Providence women, you know, Butler, they've had some good individuals. So I'm kind of interested to see is obviously the winner of the Big East championship, the committee is going to select, but what will it take for the second or third place teams at Big East to be, looked at in the eyes of the committee as worthy because they're going to be basically, do we take the second Big East team or the Atlantic 10 champion, the second Big East team or the Patriot League champion, the second, the third Big East team or the Southland conference champion. Now you'd hope that they're able to like look at the numbers and like, Hey, yeah, the third best team in Big East is better than the SWAC champion, but we don't know. Mm -hmm. So it's be, it's going to be an important race. For the top teams, it'll be live on Flow Track. Uh, I think Butler's the favorite on both the men's and women's side, which is kind of wild. I'm not sure the last time that's happened, but I'm excited. It's going to be good. It's also good to see some Northeast action going down. Villanova, my Philadelphia home, 
March Madness is coming up. Got to get ready for basketball. Dude, Bracketology. We got Exitology on their site. You can see who we think is going. I think right now we're predicting – let me see. I'm going to look it up right now. Right now we're predicting on the men's side, Butler, Villanova, and Georgetown to all get in. And on the women's side, Butler – Villanova and Georgetown. So we think both Butler, Villanova, and Georgetown will get in on both men's and women's sides, but they got to run the race and see yeah. what happens. Yeah. Man, Gordon is very excited. Very, very I'm excited. I'm excited, man. Cross country live on also, flow. It's going to be great. Also on Friday, the next edition of this podcast. So we'll leave it there. Thanks to Alon for producing. Gordon, thank you for co hosting as always. Big East Championships on Friday. Next edition of Flow Track Podcast on Friday. We'll talk to you guys then. 